Good morning. Happy New Year. Can we just take a mulligan from year 2020? Would that be all right? If you're a golfer, you know what a mulligan is. You, you get a redo from your last shot. It's not exactly in the rules. It's more uh, grace than law. You know, you hit a shot in the bunker or in the woods or in a pond. And so you take a, a redo, a, a do-over. Could we, could we do over 2020 into 2021? Take a, take a mulligan. Can we, can we say that? So, Happy New Year. If you are happy it's 2021, say amen. amen. If you are enthusiastically, joyfully, blissfully, optimistically glad it's 2021, say amen. amen. All right. Wonderful. There's a great story buried in the Old Testament that I think will help us get this mulligan series started. It's, uh, it's about a guy who gets a fresh start. The story is told in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's a story of a guy by the name of Meshifbosheth. Easy to say. Here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. David asks, is there anyone left in, in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There's still the son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Maker, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Emil. And when Mephishbosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephishbosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. May God bless the reading of his word this first Sunday in the new year. All right, there are two Mephibosheths in the Bible. Maybe uh, you didn't think it was that popular of a name. It is. Maybe you've forgotten both Mephibosheths that are mentioned in the Bible. One of the Mephibosheths was Saul's son. He was killed along with four of his brothers in battle. So Saul had six sons, and five of them died in battle. Jonathan, you know, Mephibosheth, the guy we just mentioned, Abinadab, a guy by the name of Melchizedahua, that's a mouthful as well, and Armani, not the guy that made suits, but, but another, another guy. So five brothers die in battle. Of course, you know that Saul committed suicide. That leaves one son left, Ishibosheth. Ishibosheth, the final son of Saul, thought, as was the custom of the day, that he would be the next king, that he would follow in the reign of his father. That's usually the way it works. The king dies, the king's son takes over for the king. But long story short, God and David had other plans, and Ishibosheth lost in battle to, to, to David. But David didn't kill Abishibosheth. That happened when two other guys killed Abishibosheth. David wasn't happy. That's another story for another sermon for another day. Today, we're talking about Mephibosheth. Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, the sole survivor of King Saul. 
Now here's the thing you need to know about Mephibosheth. Not only is his name hard to pronounce, it's hard to translate. Uh, uh, Old Testament names, as you know, frequently carried some meaning. They were, they were given that name for a purpose. And Mephibosheth can be translated, the, the Bosheth at the end, can mean shame. Mephibosheth, the beginning, can mean great. So his name could mean great shame, which is a lousy name. You don't want to be named. Imagine how you would be bullied in school uh, if your name was Great Shame. You know, who did that? Who destroyed that little thing over there? Well, it has to be Mephibosheth. His name is Great Shame. Look at it. He's got Great Shame written all over his face. It's a lousy name. But you can also translate Mephibosheth another way. Bosheth, the ending, could mean uh, idol. Shame, the thing that brings great shame, is an idol. So it could mean idol. And Mephifi could mean breaker. So his name could mean idol breaker, which is a great name. You know, here's the champion for the Lord, a, a, a guy who goes in and breaks up idols. Hoorah, it's Mephibosheth, you know, the idol breaker. Ah! And it makes more sense that that was the meaning behind his name. Because again, I told you Saul had a son, Mephibosheth. And then Jonathan, Mephibosheth's brother, named his son Mephibosheth. I don't think he would name him that if it meant great shame. No, he would name him that if he wanted him to be a champion, if he wanted to be a, a leader, if he wanted to be, you know, Mephibosheth. Hurrah! But Mephibosheth, when we first meet him, is far from that champion type of person. In fact, we don't meet him first in 2 Samuel 9. We meet him in 2 Samuel 4. And in 2 Samuel 4, this is how we first meet Mephibosheth. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, the news that both Jonathan, his dad, and Saul, his grandfather, were dead. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So this five-year-old kid uh, is picked up by his nanny at the news that her, her king and his son are both dead. And in her panic, in her rush to leave, she, she drops Mephibosheth and he is now lame, disabled for life. Today, if that happened today, there'd be surgery. He would walk around. He wouldn't be disabled for life. It would, modern medicine does amazing things. We have a lady in our church who was in a terrible car accident in November. It was her, her right ankle was in smithereens. I mean, in fact, they couldn't even find her right ankle. And if this was 15 years ago, her, probably her, her right leg would have been amputated. You need to have an ankle bone. That's really, really important to have an ankle bone. But what they did, this is so amazing, what they are in the process of doing, I should say, they took a, a, a CAT scan of her left ankle bone, and they used a 3D printer, and they made three ankle bones, small, medium, and large, and they're going to insert that new 3D printed ankle bone into her right ankle. And in six weeks, she's going to have this new ankle bone that was 3D printed, small, medium, and large, whichever size it needs. So you can pray. The lady's name is Karen Miller. You can pray for Karen. You can also pray for her husband, Jerry. He was also involved in the accident and has had several accidents or several surgeries because of that. It's amazing, though. But Mephibosheth, 3,000 years ago, they didn't have 3D printers. And I don't know how, how the, the, this came about, but he was lame, lame for life. 
some things happen in life that aren't fair. I think that's, that's, as much as we want life to be fair, as much as we think life should be fair, life is not always fair. I've had people in every church who have had to deal with more than their fair share of heartaches and griefs. And I don't know why that is. That's above my pay grade. I don't know why that is. That just is. We live in a fallen world. And that means that sometimes life is not fair. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Hello, 2020, right? That's why we're, we're preaching this sermon series called, called Mulligan. We've had a bad, bad, very bad, bad year. And now we want to do over a year. And maybe it could be that you're feeling a little like Mephibosheth. That life has kind of dropped on you, this terrible thing. Or maybe somebody dropped you, like Mephibosheth. Somebody made a promise and dropped you. Somebody abused you and dropped you. Somebody did you wrong and dropped you. It hurts when you're dropped. Not, not simply physically, like Mephibosheth, but when life, when selfish people, when, when, when bad people, evil people, when selfish people, when decisions, bad decisions on our, our part drop in on us, it stinks, it hurts, it's bad. There's a lot of good people who died in 2020 through no fault of their own, through, through the virus. A lot of people became sick through no fault of their own in 2020. Business owners, businesses went belly up through no fault of their own. You know, and so, so we come to this point as we begin 2021 say, all right, we need a mulligan. But in our mulliganizing, that's a new word I just made up. In our mulliganizing, could we empathize with those who have suffered? Could we come alongside those who have learned the hard way that life isn't always fair? We wish it were, but it's not. Could we come alongside those who have been dropped? Mephibosheth, through no fault of his own, only five years old, was lame for life. There are people, some of you in this room, some of you who are joining us on, online at home, some of you who are listening to this in your car right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, you've lived Mephibosheth. You've been dropped. And it wasn't fair, and it isn't easy. Now, generally, back in those days, in the days of David, when, when a king, a new king comes to power, he wipes out all the, the old king's relatives. The new king doesn't want any kin of the old king making claims to the crown, so, you know, just wipes them all out. But David doesn't want to do that. In fact, David, David, this new king, says in verse 7, Is there anyone left from, or verse 1, Is there anyone left from Saul's house to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now Jonathan, Mephibosheth's daddy, remember, was good friends with David. In fact, they were, they, they, they were best of friends. They were like brothers. It's kind of strange. Saul, Jonathan's dad, is trying to kill David most of the time. But Jonathan and David are very, very close. And so he asks, is there anyone left from Saul's family that I can show kindness to? Which is kind of a weird question when you really think about it. I just told you David and Jonathan were very, very close. Like brother close. And yet David seemingly forgot about Mephibosheth. You would think he would know Mephibosheth, his best friend's son. You'd think he would know. Remember my best friend's son. He's lame in both feet. Here's what I've discovered 30 years, 31 years now of pastoring. Sometimes when life hasn't been fair and junk has just been dropped upon a person, th those people sometimes get forgotten. They, people don't want to forget them. 
It's kind of an out of sight, out of mind sort of thing. They, 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 they forget, you stay put, you've been dropped upon, life hasn't been fair, you're stuck, but everyone else seems to, to move on. Again, they don't mean to, it's just, it's just what happens. Can, can you relate to that? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Dropped. Forgotten. So David asks, is, is there any of Saul's family still around? And the answer comes back, yeah, there's, there's, there's one person left. Um, he's a kid. He's living in Lodabar. Now, Lodabar might not mean anything to you. Where's Lodabar? Is it some, you know, fancy resort for the rich and famous? The king's grandson is living out in Lodabar. There's, there's pretty women fanning him and dropping grapes into his mouth. Is that where he is? Lodabar is nothing like that. Lodabar, it's located uh, uh, north in, in Gideon, north of the, the, the Jabbok River. But Lodabar means no pasture. Remember, this is an agricultural society. So no pasture meant no income. No pasture was the worst place. It can also mean no word. No word from God Almighty. No word, no, no, no word present. So Lodabar, in reality, meant you're at the... The end of the line, the end of your rope. You're at the last resort. If, if, you're not, if you're in a place where there's no a pasture, where there's no income, if you're at a place where there's no word from God Almighty, that's a very, very bad, awful, barren place. That's where Mephibosheth is at. He's in Lodabar. Now you might say, well, that describes our 2020. It was kind of Lodabar. No pasture year, kind of a barren year, a bad year, Lodabar. I've known a lot of people long before 2020 struck who would describe some of their, their life and some of the happenings in their life as low to our life hasn't been fair. They've gone through a lot of stuff that was through no fault of their own. Maybe they've been forgotten by their family and friends. They're stuck. They've cried out to God, low to bar, heard nothing, no word. Remember, remember this, some folks, some folks find themselves in Lodabar through their own poor choices, sinful actions, a bad place where they've made their own mess. But some folks find themselves in Lodabar through no fault of their own, 2020, you know, through no fault of their own. It just is there. And I guess it really doesn't matter how you got to Lodabar, it's what do you do once I'm in Lodabar? Does that make sense? Once I'm in this place of no word, no hope, barren land, what do I do? Now, sometimes, sometimes, uh, most usually folks want to get out of Lodabar. They don't want to stay there, not in a barren place, no word place, but they don't know how to get out. And sometimes well-meaning folks, even some well-meaning, you know, preachers like me type of folks, say, well, you just need to trust Jesus. Just follow Jesus. And I've known some folks who've been in Lodabar who are in this desolate, barren place say, well, that's easy for you to say. You know, that, don't you think, if it was that easy, I'd be out of Lodabar long before now, but here I am, I'm stuck. Is there anybody here courageous enough, brave enough, honest enough to say, Pastor, that is, that's exactly where I'm in Lodabar. In fact, I've been in Lodabar a long, long time. Now, we're only halfway through the sermon. Yeah, halfway through the sermon. And so, uh, let me give you, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. I'm supposed to give this at the end of the sermon, but I'll give you a spoiler alert right now. Here you go. There's a way out of Lodabar. And just because you found yourself in Lodabar doesn't mean you have to stay in Lodabar. You know, as, as you can look around and say, man, this is a barren place, it's a terrible place. There's, I haven't heard from the Lord. I've cried out to the God and I don't hear anything. And, and that's where I'm at. Well, the good news is you don't have to be in Lodabar. 
there's a way out of Lodabar. Hang with me, hang with me, hang with me. I'm going to tell you the way out of Lodabar in a minute. This sermon series is called Mulligan. It's a do-over. Hang with me. David is the king, right? He's firmly established in his throne. He says, is there anybody left from Saul's family? Yeah, there's, 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 there's one guy left. I don't want to kill him. I want to be kind to him. And so he sends to get Mephibosheth. Remember, Mephibosheth is lame. He can't walk on his own. So he goes there. Now, again, when the, when the messengers from the king show up at Mephibosheth's door in Lodabar, no doubt he's saying, they're saying, hey, the king wants to see you. No doubt he's thinking, he doesn't know. Is the king going to be kind to me or is the king going to kill me? Usually what happens is the king kills me. So he doesn't know what's going to happen. But they take him to, to David, and as soon as David sees him, he calls him by name, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, you know, in, in deference to, to the king, not knowing what's going to happen next, says, at your service. And then listen to what King David says next. I, I, I want you to notice how King David responds, because he responds the same way that God responds to us when we've been dropped and forgotten and living in a barren, desolate, no-communication place, Lodabar. Because this is what God will say to you. When you're at the end of your rope, when you don't know what to do, when you've come through a difficult year, forgotten, 2020, what does God say to us? The first words that out of David's mouth to Mephibosheth. Verse 4, do not be afraid. How many of you need to hear that this morning? 2020 has given us plenty of reasons to be afraid, legitimate reasons to be afraid. But hear from the Lord. I've told you this before, 365 times in your Bible, one for each day. So you've got 362 left for this year. God says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God Almighty is on your side. Do not be afraid. Don't you dare be afraid because the King of Kings has got your back. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 365 times. Fear not. And then David goes on to say something else that you'll hear from the Lord. Exact same thing. He says in verse 7, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. Hear this from the Lord in our mulligan ear. For I will surely show you kindness. Our kindness is not because of our father Jonathan. Our kindness is received because of who God is. That's who God is. He is one who shows kindness over and over in the Bible. Isaiah 54, 8. With everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I, I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Titus 3. When the kindness and love of God our Father appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, kindness kindness. God has shown us kindness. It's called mercy and grace. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. I've given God a million reasons not to love me, to drop me, to leave me, to let me stay in Lodabar, but he hasn't done it. And he won't do it. We get God's kindness. Fear not. God's kindness is coming. And this is how David shows his kindness to Mephibosheth in verse 7. Continues on, I will restore all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. You will always eat at my table. You get your land back. No more, no pasture living. No, you'll get your land back. But best of all, you'll be at the king's table. Always. Sitting at the king's table meant inclusion, right? It meant safety. It meant security. Best of all, who sits at the king's table? The family of no longer dropped, no longer forgotten, Mephibosheth. Now you're sitting at my table. It meant the best of everything. It meant life. 
It meant food. It meant service. You're at the king's table. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told in Luke 14. Do you remember that story? God is seen as a, a, a guy who's going to throw a big banquet. And he invites all the people. And as the custom of the day, he'd send out the invitations. And people responded with their RSVPs. Yes, we're going to come. But on the day of the banquet, they all have excuses. One guy's excuse is, well, I've got to go check out my land, which is a lousy excuse. If you bought land, you, you've already checked it out. The second guy says, well, I've got to, I just purchased 10 head of, of oxen, and I need to go see how they, they operate. Listen, if you're rich enough for 10 head of oxen, you're rich enough to have a servant to see if the oxen are working out. And the third guy says, says well, I can't come because I just got married. He's probably referring back to a passage in Deuteronomy that says you can have a year off of military service if you've got married. The actual translation of that is to cheer your wife up. I don't know why you need a whole year to cheer your wife up after you got married, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> All of them have flimsy excuses. That's the point in the story. And so the guy throwing the banquet, God, says, All right, throw open the doors. Bring in the lame, the crippled, the blind, the Mephibosheths chefs of this world. I don't care who you get, just fill up the party. Verse 23 of Luke 14 says, Go out into the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus' point, God loves a party. God loves to celebrate. And if the originally invited people read Pharisees and people like them, if they aren't going to come, then throw the doors open, wide open for anybody, everybody. They're all welcome at the table. Everybody's welcome at the table. Everybody can sit at the master's table. That's Jesus' point. That's what Mephibosheth was experiencing. Lame strikes against him, living in Lodabar, alone, forgotten. There he was, but the king comes and says, No, 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 I'm going to show you kindness. You're welcome at the table. That's what God says to us. Can I tell you one more story? I, I, this is one of my favorite stories of all. story about a preacher who went to Hawaii to preach at a church. And he was from the East Coast. He's from Philadelphia. But he went to Hawaii, and so he's experiencing serious jet lag. And at 2 in the morning, he can't sleep. And so he goes down to a diner just outside the hotel. Well, he gets there, and he's eating, and he's finishing up, and just as he's finishing up, uh, a group of prostitutes come in. And they're, they're rude, and they're crude, and they're obnoxious, and they're loud. And he just kind of sat there as, as he watched them uh, carry on. They were getting ready to leave, and as they're leaving, one of the prostitutes commented that the next day was going to be her 39th birthday. And the other prostitute said, well, what do you want? You want us to throw you a party? And, she's, and she was embarrassed by their reaction to this. And she goes, no, 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 I was just telling you. That's all, I was just telling you. So the prostitutes left the diner, and the preacher goes up to the cook, and he said, did those ladies come in here every night? And the cook said, every night. And he described the prostitute who said it was going to be her birthday the next day, and he said, he said, do you know who she is? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's Agnes. And so the preachers have said, well, she said it was going to be her 39th birthday tomorrow. And I was wondering, could we, throw, could we throw her a birthday party? And the cook said, you want to throw Agnes a birthday party? He goes, yeah. He said, well, if you want to throw Agnes a birthday party, you sure can. In fact, I'll bake a cake. And so the next day, the preacher went out and he bought streamers and the happy birthday signs. They got it all set up. And the, and the cook baked the cake. And word got out that they were having this surprise birthday party for Agnes. So at 2.30 in the morning... The, 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 the place was full of prostitutes and this preacher. And Agnes came walking in. 
And the preacher shouted out, Happy birthday, Agnes! And she was overwhelmed. She looked around and saw all those people in there and she saw the cake. She had never received a cake in her 39 years. No one had ever baked her birthday cake. And she just stared at it for a minute. And, and she was weeping and she said, Can I go show my mom this cake? And the cook said, well, it's your cake. Do with it what you want. So Agnes picked up the cake and took off. So the birthday party, the birthday girl left the birthday party with the birthday cake and they're all just kind of standing around. And the preacher didn't know what to do. And so he said, hey, could we just pray for Agnes? And so that restaurant, wall-to-wall prostitutes, and one preacher, they bowed their heads and the preacher prayed, Lord, would you be with Agnes? Would you help her to know how much she's loved by you? Would you be near her and help her to know how special she is? Would you remind her that she, she is yours? And when he said amen, the cook looked over at the preacher and said, Hey, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And the preacher said, Well, I guess I'm, a, I'm from the type of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 2 a.m., and the cook said, there ain't no church like that. But if there was, I'd be there. Listen, that's a story. That's a story of what of Mephibosheth. None of us deserve to be at the table. Are you kidding me? I already told you. I've, I've given God a million reasons to drop me and leave me and, and stick me in Lodabar. Instead, he loves me. And we can come to the table not because of, of anything we've done, but because of God's grace and his mercy and his kindness. We don't, we don't deserve anything that we've received. How do you get out of your personal load bar? I told you, I'd tell you. First, it's making sure that you're a child of the king. I've told people all the time, it's as easy as A, B, C, A, acknowledge that you need Jesus, A, admit that you're a sinner, B, believe that he is who he says he is, B, believe that he's the only way to the Father, C, come to him, C, confess you need him, C, commit your life to him, C, serve him. I know serve doesn't begin with C, but leave me alone. First step, become a child of the king. Second step, no embrace the fact that you're a child. I know so many people, they pray for forgiveness. They ask God into their heart. God comes into their heart and they can't believe it. They're still stuck in Lodabar. They still think that they don't deserve it, that they whatever, that they are so bad that God couldn't love them. Embrace the fact that God loves you. That's step two. And step three is simply belly up to the table. God loves you. God loves you. And hey, I wants to show kindness to you in this new year.